Thanks for listening to Hanging With The Sotelos Podcast Con Mama and Dada There's some fast Gracias, Ariela. In today's episode, we will discover the inspiring story of one of the doctors that helped save Edgar's mom's life. You will hear about his journey through life, breaking stereotypes as a young black doctor, entrepreneur, and influencer with the Woo. sickest sneaker collection hey. that any doctor has. <laughs> That's period. Awesome. What's his why? What drives him to be the influential doctor, husband, father that he has become today? Coming up next, we'll be catching up with Dr. Rutland. We'd like to thank God for giving us another day to be able to hang out with you. My name is your boy, Edgar, and this is my wonderful wife, Janet. Hola. And we'd like to welcome mi amigo, Cedric Jamie Rutland, el doctor. What up, welcome. Dr. Rutland? <laughs> Hola, ¿cómo estás? Eso. <laughs> Oye, tu español está mucho mejor sí. ahora, bro. <laughs> I know you're in the OC, but you're probably hanging out in Santa Ana. <laughs> I do. I do. I need I need I need to get my food somewhere. That's like my it's like my kryptonite. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on with us, hermano. Before we dive into your story, I just want to paint a picture of how I met Dr. Rutland. Yes. It was my mom's third time back in ICU. Mm. Uh, she has a terminal illness by the name of MDS, myelodysplastic syndrome. Basically, she doesn't produce red blood cells the way she's supposed to, so she needs blood transfusions and her immune system is really weak. So, she got really sick and her immune system couldn't handle it so she was in the hospital for like two months her third time back in icu things are not looking well and this is my first time meeting dr rutland and also dr patel mm -hmm. who through god's grace and their work saved my mom's life forever grateful for you dr rutland dr patel for doing that and everybody else involved but here comes dr rutland mm -hmm. coming down the hall what, what does he look like what is he wearing besides scrubs He's like the black Doogie Howser, <laughs> right? But way more swag, obviously, oh, okay, okay. way more swag. Dopest Jordans on. Nice. With like some pink shoelaces. Wow, babe. Just crazy swag, <laughs> super young. And I'm just like, Get my yo. Great memory. <laughs> like, I all of a sudden forget my mom is a nice year. And I'm like, yo, what Jordans are those, Shut bro? Up. But I just saw this focus in you, Dr. Rutland. And the way you attacked what was going on in my mom's lungs, you being a, a pulmonologist, critical care, internal medicine, and now you're the CEO and medical director of West Coast Lung in Orange County and here in, in the Inland Empire. We'll get to that in a second. But the way you attacked my mom's situation, the way you would break things down, the way you took on her case like it was your own mom, and the way you wouldn't give up on her showed me that you had been through your own struggles. You had been through some things in your life where people didn't believe that you were going to make it or where people thought that you weren't going to beat the odds, mm. but you broke through it anyway. 
where you've been labeled many things, but you're like, forget you. I don't want to wear this label and I'm going to become who I'm going to become. And I'm going to find a solution to whatever my problem is. And that's what you along with Dr. Patel and many others did with my mom's case. And that's what inspires Janet I to know more about your story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting to hear my description. It's very rare that you that you get to hear someone else describe a first impression, so to speak. One of the things that I always say in the intensive care unit, and I was getting a little choked up when you tell me the story, is that you know, and I think I just told you this before we came on. I, you know, my when I was a first year med student, my grandfather passed away, and he developed a small bowel obstruction, and he ended up in the ICU. And because of his severe lung disease that he had, emphysema, he was on a ventilator and he couldn't be weaned off and they withdrew care and he passed away. And I was in med school at the time. I was first year med student and I didn't come home and go to his funeral or anything like that because I always felt like, you know, he would want me to stay at school, right? And stay and study and work hard. And you never know how things like that, events like that can have an effect on you. Like you really have no clue. But the fact that I didn't, go home kind of created this drive where I'm constantly chasing a bedside that I'm never going to catch. Right. And so it's just like the, the work ethic and the effort that I put forth when I am taking care of a patient in the ICU or in the hospital or even in clinic, like it's just, I can't get over not being there at his bedside. That was powerful. You're always chasing that bedside. And that bedside that you're speaking of is tu abuelito, your grandpa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I saw in you, the way you came at my mom's case, where many other doctors were saying, hey, you guys should talk about when you want us to unplug or stop helping her breathe and live. She, she was on a ventilator. She was intubated. And I think this resonates right now because we are going through this pandemic and COVID-19 attacks the lungs in such a way. I think a lot of people can relate to this either because it's happened to them or a family member or somebody close to them. The way you attacked it, man, I was just like, I was so grateful because I wasn't an easy patient's son (laughs) in the sense of like how many questions I asked and I wanted to know everything and I want to know numbers and how how, why did this number go up compared to yesterday in different levels and you took the time to explain everything to me and that I am so appreciative of I think that's how you dealt with your stress of your mom being in the ICU was by asking questions and trying to understand what was going on physiologically in her body which I think is that's what you kind of want. I mean, you want people that are asking questions and that are curious. And if there's a level that they can't get to, that's okay. But you got to find a way to explain it to them. And it was interesting because hearing you explain what myelodysplastic syndrome is was very accurate. And I actually learned something from you based on the understanding that you received, right, while you were in the hospital with your mom. So it's just, you know, it you're not the annoying son. You were just the son that was curious. And well, I appreciate nothing it. Nothing wrong with I that. think that's why we became friends outside sometimes, of ICU. Sometimes he would come home and, and he would start telling me all these things and trying to explain it to me. I'm like, wow, I feel like you've become like a, like a nurse, <laughs> like an honorary nurse or something, like an assistant, yeah. because you were like getting all this information and you were learning along as, you know, your mom was going through this. But doctor, I want to know, did you get into pulmonology after your grandfather passed away or before? Oh, uh, after. Uh, I was a first year med student. You know, at the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like, maybe I wanted to do surgery. I don't know. And my grandfather always had emphysema, which is dead lung, secondary to smoking. Mm. And my grandmother had a tracheostomy. 
and she breathed through her neck her entire life and she was blind a bunch of other health problems my grandmother lived till she was like 96 97 my grandfather died when he was 86 or 87 but that probably propelled my interest in pulmonary Mm. but pulmonary and critical care was the perfect specialty for me because you know i have adhd dyslexia dysnomia a whole bunch of mental disorders but pulmonary and critical care allowed me to uh, diversify my skills, so to speak. There are so many different aspects of that field. Um, and if I was doing something different, some days I'm in the operating room, some days I'm in the intensive care unit doing procedures, right. some days I'm in clinic, some days I'm doing production, some days I'm teaching. So uh, some days I'm filming YouTube, right? So some, <laughs> it just allowed me to have this like overall uh, life that keeps me interested. So I have a question. You just mentioned something very lightly. You said you have ADHD and then like some other things that you have. Dyslexia, yeah. Yeah. What would you tell those kids that are, you know, being brought up and their parents don't know they have that, but they might be a little bit different, might be being bullied, maybe not right now, but have been bullied. I don't know if you were ever bullied, but what would you tell that kid right now? Or what would you tell yourself when you were a little boy to encourage you to follow your dreams? It's interesting because when I grew up, my parents or my mom, I grew up with a single mother and an older brother. And then my grandparents were like, my grandfather was like my father. And our family was very very close. My uncle was around, my aunt was around, everybody was very close. Um, So I was raised well. I went to Catholic private school my entire life. My dad did drugs and was not around, but like I was fine. When I was in kindergarten and I was trying out for the Catholic school kindergarten class, apparently my mom tells a story where I was doing so many other things and listening to the teacher and answering these questions. And I got all of her questions that she was asking me, right. But she said, you know, Jamie's not ready for kindergarten. He's paying attention to 50,000 other things. <laughs> and my mom said, well, he was paying attention to 50,000 other things and answered all your questions correctly. I think he's more than ready for kindergarten. <laughs> I love her. Anyway, I ended up in the kindergarten class, right? And then throughout my schooling, like I was always a good student. Like I always got A's and B's or whatever. But I noticed in, in high school, college, medical school, I could only sit down and study for like 30, 40 minutes. Then I had to get up, run around, and then do it again, right? Mm. And when I got to medical school, I kind of reached this point where it was getting to be a little bit much. Like there was a lot of information I needed to know. So what I did was I called my mom and I said, mom, I was like, teacher ever told you that I had, you know, ADD or ADHD? And she was like, yeah. So I went to this child psychologist when I was like 25, 26 in medical school at University of Iowa, okay? And I'm surrounded by like seven-year-olds and me, right? And they're playing with that string block thing, you know? It's like, what am I doing here? So I go and I test and he's like, dude, I don't know how you were able to get like as far as you got, <laughs> but like, let me just test you some more. So he tests my memory and he's like, it's your memory. He's like, your memory is ridiculous. You can remember things in a five minute span that people can't remember over the course of hours. Mm. You were able to use that to get you to where you are, but you have ADHD, dyslexia, dysnomia, ADD, right? You know, I called my mom back and I was like, mom, like, did they ever tell you this? And she's like, oh yeah, all the time. And I was like, what do you mean? What's up with that? And she was like, well, they wanted to give you medicine and you were getting straight A's. And I was like, why am I going to do that? (laughs) And so you sit there and you think about it, right? You're just like, well, what's the deal? Like, why would she do that? I was performing and I was learning how to deal with my disability, but my disability, and this is what I tell kids, mm-hmm. was not a disability. Mm. It was an ability. Mm. It was an ability to focus on many different things Yes. and continue to push through and excel. Everybody is different. And so what do I do today? What am I doing in my life right now? Focusing on so many different things. And yeah, it gets crazy. And yeah, I have you know a lecture to give and a clinic to go to and a show to film and a podcast to record all in three and a half hours, but I could do it. Mm. And it's so 
funny, when I take medicine, it allows me to focus. So like when I got to sit down and study for four or five hours, I will take a Ritalin. Five milligrams of Ritalin, boom, I'm like Rain Man. Just, ah, just like I can take it all in. Zoned in, yeah. But I mean, that's the story behind my, my mental health, you know, disorder, I guess. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. I love that you said that your disability basically became what's giving you the ability to reach where you're at today and break through glass ceilings and break through stereotypes and break through labels that people had put on you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think so many times when we get labeled as something dyslexia, mm -hmm. attention deficit disorder, people start seeing you as someone with a disability, AKA less than, mm -hmm. and they'll start setting those lower expectations. So thank you for sharing that Dr. Rutland, because we are all learning, you know, and there are a lot of parents right now listening that maybe their child has attention deficit disorder or autism or whatever it may be. And they're trying to understand what's the best way to deal with the school system, the way it's set up, that it's like one way or the highway mm -hmm. and how to empower their son or daughter because they're brilliant, but they just do it in a different way. And here's Dr. Right. Rutland, a and, doctor, and yeah. a specialist in pomology. And an entrepreneur. I mean, work is work. I mean, I see the book behind you. You know, you got Mamba Mentality, right? I yeah. mean, like learning how to work, probably the most important lesson I learned from my grandparents. My grandfather said a couple of things that were very important. One of which was, it's never because you're Black. He never wanted me to have that in my back pocket as an excuse to stop working hard. He just didn't want that. He knew that me going, because I went to, all my, my schools were white, predominantly white. And I had a racist teacher in second grade, Mrs. Desiree, who refused to teach me. Stop, stop there for a second. What do you mean she refused to teach you? So Mrs. Desiree was a substitute teacher at Holy Spirit. She would never call me in class and she would not talk to me. She's a racist teacher. Again, if it wasn't for my grandfather saying it's never because you're black, I would have stopped right there. Not to say that she didn't do anything wrong because she did. And she wasn't the right teacher. Like she, And I never, ever, 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 ever told my school, ever. Never told the principal, never told my mom, never did anything. Just was like, all right, worked around it. But that was an important lesson for me because it taught me like, you have to continue to work and absorb things as you work. Things are going to happen, right? Adversity is going to happen. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to try to prevent you from getting somewhere. All you can do is outwork them. And that's all it was. Every time I saw somebody in the coffee shop before me, I was mad. And I was going to stay there and study until after they left. Every time somebody wanted to stay later than me, I was mad. I would go home and I would study and I would stay up until I thought that they were gone. Because I wanted people to know that I'm going to work harder than you, period. End of story. That's how it was. I didn't care about my grade on the test. All I cared about was being better today when compared to yesterday. That is all I cared about. I wanted to be better and better and better and better and better. That's it. And that's what this is about. A lot of people try to get everything at one time. And they all want to be praised all at one time right away. And I'm like, what's the fun in that? Right. What's the fun in that? Yes. I'm going to get you some nerds. <laughs> so like, <cute. laughs> Babe, I was talking to Dr. Rutland right before we started as he was negotiating with his daughters. And because he's a girl dad as well, nice. like I am. And it's like, yo, bro, did you ever know or did you ever think that being a parent was actually just like negotiating with terrorists? That's like really <laughs> what it's about. <laughs> And that's really what it is. You do pretty good in those negotiations, Dr. Rutland? No, dude, I'm terrible in those negotiations. <laughs> He's like, let's go back to talking about doctors. <laughs> and coming up next, Dr. Rutland, I want to dive a little more into a message that you have for single moms that are listening to us right now. And also, how do you juggle this, man? How do you juggle being a father, being a husband? I know your wife just went through and is going through a difficult situation being diagnosed with cancer as well. And... 
you're a CEO of a new venture that you started. Definitely want to dive into that coming up next. But before we continue, we want to talk to you about our friends at Sunday. Since spring is just around the corner, that means it's time to get your lawn looking amazing again. Growing up, mi papá always took so much pride in having a beautiful green lawn. Tenía que estar al cien. The good news is that Sunday can help you get your lawn on point. Sunday is a customized lawn plan that works with nature. It's like a meal plan for your grass mm. that uses natural ingredients so you can grow a greener lawn that's better for people, pets, and the planet. I love that. It's super easy to get and even easier to apply. Here are the steps we took to get Sunday. The first step was we visited their website, get Sunday. Dot com. We put in our home address and their free lawn analysis tool took care of the rest all in just seconds. Sunday uses satellite views of your soil and climate data specifically about your home to create a tailored nutrient plan so you get all the stuff your lawn needs and nothing it doesn't. It's pretty amazing, man. Like our house popped up and they got to analyze our soil from our specific house within yeah. seconds. Step number two, we simply hit order and our tailored meal plan for our lawn arrived at our door within days. This stuff really works. We got the hookup and the discount code for you to let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com slash Sotelos to get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com Slash Sotelos. Dr. Rutland, what Yo. message would you have for that single mom that is listening to us right now? And it's just like, I'm burnt out. This is crazy. The dad is not involved. Like in your situation, it sounds like your father wasn't as involved at all. What message do you have for that single mom who basically was your mom? your kid is watching you. I remember um, my mom, there were two things that she did. My mom went to law school when she was 38, 39. I, my age now, I guess. She, and I was like nine or 10. And I would watch her go to work from nine to five, come home and study until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So I watched her work really hard. I would watch her come home and exercise, run around the lake. We lived in a neighborhood. The lake was a little bit farther away, but we would go all the way around, probably about six miles. She would walk around the lake and just, just to stay in shape. And, you know, I have a gym in my garage and my Peloton upstairs just because of her efforts, right? And me remembering what she did. You got to encourage your kid and then you got to know how to motivate your kid. I'm going to tell you a story. I was a senior in high school and I had transferred from the all boy Catholic school to the boy and girl Catholic school. I wanted to start in basketball. Um, and we were playing the all-boy Catholic school my senior year for the league championship, for a city for a city league championship. Where is this at? What and city? Sacramento. California. Jesuit versus Christian Brothers, Sacramento, California. And I was a starting two guard. I was good. My mom wasn't supposed to come to the game. In the middle of the first quarter, she shows up with her luggage, flew from Philadelphia. My mom is there. Wow. I played the shittiest game <laughs> of my life. I had like eight points, four rebounds. Missed everything. It was the worst game ever. And we lost. We went, uh, we went on to the playoffs, went to the state championship, whatever. But like that loss still stings me to this day. After the game, go up to your mom. This is your mom. My single mom. Like my brother's there. Like this is your mom. Right? You want your mom to give you a hug and say it's going to be okay. This is your mother. This is like a moment. 
where you just want to go and hug your mom and be like, man, I'm never going to get this back. And to this day, I'm never going to get that, that game back. She looked at me in my face and she said to me, you made me travel all this way to watch you lose and watch you play like this. And so like, I'm 17, right? And I am like crushed, but that was my mom. (laughs) And I knew that's the kind of thing that she would say, but here's the thing. You look at that moment right then and there and you're like, that's how well your parents know you. My mom knew me so well. She knew that by her saying that would propel me and motivate me to be where I am right now to this day. And that's the thing I would say to single moms is like, your child is watching and listening to everything as much as you don't think they are. That was a powerful moment in my life, I think. You know what it goes back to? Not because she didn't love you or didn't want to comfort you, but because she loved you so much, she wasn't willing to lower the expectations for you because she knew your potential. She knew how good you were and what heights you could reach. So she's like, why am I going to lower my expectations of you? You know, this is not okay right. because exactly. you deserve better for yourself, Cedric, Dr. Rudland, Jamie. And therefore, I expect more of you and you should expect more of yourself. How is it for your wife and your girls to be like, okay, daddy's on call. He's got to go all the time. Like, how, how is that lifestyle? Yeah, you're the CEO of your company now. And on top of that, you're a doctor. And on top of that, you have a very successful YouTube channel. You're always on Instagram live, helping, teaching, etc. It's interesting. When you grow up and you're dating you're always like trying partners out, right? Seeing where people are. And I dated somebody for a long time right before I met my wife. And she was great in her own right. She was good. But like, I couldn't completely be myself. I had to apologize too much for being me. But my wife, my wife is the first person I've ever met in my life, I've ever dated in my life that allowed me to be me. I didn't have to hide. I didn't have to, you know, have these separate lives where I have life with my books, life with my wife, life with my girl, life with my boys, right? It was like just life all together, right? Makes it easy. In the process of that, she understood me. She understood the drive and the work ethic. I've always studied since medical school began. And I've always spent a significant amount of time away from the house while I was studying. In the process of that, she understood that that's what I needed to do. So I started spending nights away from home to moonlight to work at other hospitals when I was in, when I was a first year resident. And that continued throughout fellowship, right? Always on call. So she's used to it. She likes it right? It's her break from me. I'm not the easiest person. So it's her mental break. So yeah, either I'm on call or I am, or I'm spending the night, you know, away because I got to go film something. I got to start filming a TV show in a month. I'm going to be gone for like nine weeks. So it's like, she is just used to it. And the girls are too, because when they know when I'm on call, they get to sleep in mommy's bed. And it's just like, we've just grown accustomed Mm, to me being gone a few days a month. And so it's not, It's not a surprise when it happens. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Rutland, two more things I want to touch with you, and then we'll let you go back to your girls and continue negotiating. But two things. One, you went through a big transition, professionally speaking. Uh, You and I were both going through a transition at the same time, and we both ended up starting our own businesses. Tell me what you learned from that, and how can you encourage our listeners right now? Many of them are going through transitions right now because of this pandemic. Yeah. The first thing is you got to jump. Like Steve Harvey says, you got to jump. I guarantee you, your parachute will open, but you got to jump. I don't know when your parachute is going to open. I don't know how it's going to open, but you got to jump. And I remember in June of 2019, I was talking to myself. I had made the decision in June of 2019, I was going to leave my the practice that I was in and I was going to start my own practice. Reason being, I was sick of making money for somebody else, working really, really hard for somebody else. 
fine. Great person, great group, great guy, whatever. I didn't want to work for anybody else anymore. And there was a skill I noticed that I had that I wanted to develop. And I knew that the person I was working for wanted me to continue to build their practice for them the way that they wanted to. So at that period of time, I decided to leave. You have to have a way of making money to support your family. So for me, it was speaking. So I remember I had gone, I went to Madrid to speak. I'd set up all these speaking engagements around the country and they were getting, and you get paid significantly to do that. So I set up all these speaking engagements around the country, told my group that I was leaving, saved a little bit of money. And I was just like, I'll figure it out. You figure it out. But the other thing is you have to be aware of what your expertise is. You have to be aware of what you are good at. Your gifts, your abilities, your strengths. Yeah. Your strengths. Yeah. A lot of this country, they lack awareness and you got to spend time by yourself. I can tell you that the, the best 45 minutes of my day when I was in college and medical school was eating lunch by myself. I always ate lunch by myself. Why did I do that? I did that to get inside of my mind and truly understand who I was as an individual. Because I struggled a lot in college, right? I struggled a lot with identity in college. I am a Black man who went to white schools, used to having white and Black friends. But I dated Black girls, Latino girls, white girls. They had all kinds of women. I didn't have a preference. But it was really hard. You know, I would just spend all this time by myself just really thinking about it. And one day I was just like, you know what? Like, I gotta stop worrying about this. Like, this is just me. And it's just, you just have to spend time with yourself to be aware of who you are as a human being. And that really helps propel your success as an entrepreneur once you know who you are. Yes. And what um, you have to offer, right? Because you're an yeah. expert at that. You're really good at that. And therefore, people will come because you're good for that. And now we got West Coast Lung. Congratulations, man. I remember speaking to you when things were really challenging, when you were just launching it, and there was people trying to stop you. And we'll leave it at that. But, I mean, really trying to stop you and block you. But here you are today. Gracias a Dios doing your thing right. and your wife partnered with you and, and went to war with you. And here you guys are. And just side note, in case you're wondering, you ended up marrying a white woman. I did. And you have beautiful children. What would you say for somebody that is either Latino or black that's listening to this or any type of minority that's in a field where they are the minority. Mm. And when people look at them, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm sure this has happened to you at times. <laughs> When you walk into a room or an ICU room or whatever it may be, and somebody doesn't see you as a doctor, but sees you as a black doctor, what yeah, experiences you're, have you had with that? You're breaking barriers. When I was a third year med student, uh, there was a patient by the name of Mrs. P and her husband. They were from the upper left-hand corner of Iowa, a country town near Okaboji, and they were farmers. They had a whole family, all white people, and I was the med student taking care of her. And I, I would, I treated them just like I treated you, explained everything. Metastasis, what it meant, what was going on with their organs. She was dying of, of metastatic ovarian cancer. I finished the rotation left. Kevin started the rotation, this acquaintance of mine who I thought was kind of an ass, but whatever. He comes up to me one day and he's like, you remember Mr. P? And I was like, yeah. He's like, he said something really strange. I was like, what'd he say? He said, I never loved a colored fella as much as I love Jamie, but I do. And, you know, when you're in the room during that, those 10 days when I was on the gynoc service, like I could feel that there was a little bit of you know, surprise and tension. You know, he was like, I thought that was kind of racist. And I, I thought about it and I wrote about it in the paper. And I was like, yeah, maybe. But then I thought about it. I was like, dude, I spent 10 days with this guy and I completely changed the way in which he felt about an entire race of people just by being myself for those 10 days. Imagine if we all were afforded that opportunity. And so I didn't think it was racist anymore. I thought that it was an opportunity 
And there was an opportunity that Mr. P took advantage of at the age of 74. That to me was a powerful moment. And that's when I realized what my grandfather was trying to tell me. I could have easily stopped, listened to my gut, any of those points when I was just like, you know, this guy's not listening to me because I'm black, whatever. He's obviously uncomfortable because I'm black. I could have just stopped, but I didn't. Because you're so for me, because my grandfather. And so for me, it was like, I just, I realized a lesson that, you know, you just got to be yourself. And a month, uh, a month ago, like maybe a year ago, practices in Newport Beach, white patient, 70-year-old lady. I diagnosed her with scleroderma lungs. Nobody had ever diagnosed her with it before. That's what she had. She's had it for years. That's why she was short of breath. She looks at me and she says, this is your practice? I said, yes. She said, but how did you afford it? You're black. Wow. And I said, yeah, this is literally your bill. And I said, save some money, open your practice. <laughs> Walk out of the room. My wife's sitting at the desk. She's like, and you're his wife and you're white. Oh, wow. And you married a black man. First time my wife had ever been like, had like ever heard anything like that before, right? And then looks at my assistant, who's Latino, and said something, something, those people. And I was like, who are those people? But it's like, you have these encounters mm-hmm. and you have a choice. Yes. Are you going to react or are you going to absorb? People only write about the reaction. They never write about the absorption. And so at that particular moment in time, I just absorbed it. Let it go. Let her know. She learned. And when she left, she understood that a black man ran that practice who was married to a white girl, teamed up with a Latino woman, and we were successful. She left that. She left that day knowing that. And I think I saw her one more time after that, but I haven't seen her since. And I know why, but she knows. But the person that was uncomfortable was her. And you have to be able to deal with those kinds of situations because they're going to come up. People have called me the chef. People have called me many different things. I'm comfortable. I'm good. I don't care. It takes a long time to get to this point, but. No, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm sure there was moments in time when you were younger where it did impact you. It did hurt you, but you use that fuel to only become better, work harder, as your grandfather would say, rest in peace. And I think what I'm getting out of this, man, and, you know, being people of color, Latino, black, et cetera, we've all gone through things like that, right? Anytime I've ever been discriminated against was based on disinformation. Like discrimination comes from disinformation. That person is assuming things or has a stereotype or has an assumption of you because of your skin color, the way you look that he generalized or she for an entire race. And those opportunities when we do have encounters with people that are disinformed or ignorant that discriminate against you, you have an opportunity to show them who you really are and to say, man, only if you took a moment to get to know me for who I am and not my skin color, you would see that we're a lot more alike than different. And the fact that I'm here, in your case, Dr. Rutland, trying to save your life or your family member's life, you know? So thank you for sharing that, man. Um, That's very encouraging and very empowering. And we'll wrap it up with this, man. The latest challenge in your life is your wonderful partner, your wonderful wife gets diagnosed with cancer. Where, Where are you at today in regards to that battle? And how are you taking this on as many people are dealing with people being sick. That one was interesting um, because it's still ongoing. In November, my wife felt a lump in the upper outer portion of her left breast. And she saw her doc, who was a nurse practitioner, said, ah, it's probably nothing, but let's get an ultrasound. They get an ultrasound and they see a lump. They're like, we got to biopsy that. Of course, me being the physician and the husband, all kinds of things are going through my head, right? It's like, do I support her and say it's probably nothing? Do I break down and like, get completely scared. You know, I was probably somewhere in the middle. Get a biopsy. Biopsy says invasive ductal carcinoma. Which is is cancer. Yeah, it's cancer. The messed up part is we get home on a Sunday. We went to Big Bear after the biopsy. 
spend a weekend with his family with my brother and his wife and kid and my boy and his kids. We had a good weekend. It's Sunday night. I knew the biopsy would be back. I look it up in the computer and my wife's like, well, what does it say? And I have to deliver the news to my wife, right? And it's like one of those times in your life where I'm absorbing and delivering bad news like simultaneously, right? Because I'm the husband. And so I got to like, who am I going to call? How am I going to know what's going to happen next? Like, what are we going to do? But it's like, oh, it's my wife. Like, how is she going to feel about this? Like, what's going on? And so you tell her and we're crying and it sucks. Two weeks later, we had, she had double mastectomies and, um, you know, now she has tissue expanders and she's got to go back in for implants in a few months. What she's gone through emotionally is what she's gone through. I'll let her tell you about it, but it hasn't been easy. And it's hard to step away from being a physician because that's what I am. Right. Me, I've been a physician almost half my life now. I mean, it's like, but you got to be a husband when these kinds of things happen and you got to support, you got to put your hand on the shoulder and you got to hug and kiss and figure out how you're going to tell the kids. And you just told the kids that, you know, mommy is getting some cut that was bad out of her. I don't know. Selfishly speaking, though, it's made me a better physician. The reason I say that is just because you think about having this part of her cut out of her forever. There's an emotional sensitivity that you gain when you are watching your loved one go through this, right? And it's um, definitely made me a better, more sensitive physician and person. And it's allowed me to relate with people on a different level. Mm. If there's a silver lining, that would be the silver lining, but the battle, you know, it's not over. She's got to probably start taking a medicine to help suppress cancer cells from coming back, um, even though all her tissue is gone. It's not easy, and my wife is ridiculously strong yeah. to go through what she's going through. Um, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your not only your brilliant mind with us and everybody listening, but your positivity and everything that you see and you encounter. And I really appreciate that because sometimes it's just so easy to go down this deep, dark hole. But the way I hear you speak is just so optimistic about life about, hey, let me check my sensitivity level. Let me, you know, I've learned so much in this half an hour <laughs> that we've been talking to you. So thank you for just yeah. being real. I appreciate that. That in every challenge you've seen, well, what's the opportunity? What's the blessing in this, right? How is this going to make me better? And every challenge that you've been presented with, whether it was from the get, your father not being around, it was an opportunity to create this amazing relationship with your grandfather. From there, you know, all the situations that happen in college and these different encounters have only, you've used them to become better and reach your full potential. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I'm sorry you guys are going through this, mm. but if there's anything we can do for you, yeah. your wife, we'd love to meet her, pray with her. Yes. Um, you know, we'll keep you guys in, in our prayers and definitely we are strong believers of God and miracles happen. And, yes. and like my mom. Yeah. And thank you for being a part of our journey and, uh, you know, my mother-in-law's life. You, you're literally saving people's lives. So thank you for that. And thank you for everything you're doing along with so many medical and healthcare workers right now during this pandemic. So thank you so much. No, no problem. Thanks you guys for, uh, for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, look forward to getting together in person at some point yes. in the future. Right. Can we get your wife's name and also your grandfather's name and your mom? Uh, my grand, Yeah. My mom's Patty Joe Rutland. My grandfather is William G. Rutland, senior. And then my wife's name is Dory Rutland. Patty, William, and Dory. Nice. In this podcast, we've spoken a lot about what's your why, right? That, that one thing or a few things that when challenges come, no matter what that challenge is, your why will propel you to overcome it. And thank you for sharing your why, which 
is your mother, your grandfather, and now it's your wife and, and girls. As challenging as things are right now, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful to know that you have your why intact. And that's what keeps you going, my man. And um, thank you so much. Love you, bro. Thank you for being a part of my mom's miracle. And uh, what are your handles? Where, where yeah, do people find you? Where can you? our li- listeners connect with you? Learn more about you. Learn more about your sneaker collection. What are you What are you rocking right now? We just got the uh, Air Jordan One uh, pair of Saint Germains in the mail Oof. today. A little purple, <laughs> pink action, black and white with pink laces. People can find me at uh, Dr. J Rutland on most social media sites. D R J R U T L A N D, and then on. Um, YouTube, it's Medicine Deconstructed. That's where people can find me. Dr. Rutland, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. That was awesome. We'll stay in touch, my man. And uh, you know that we're always encouraging you, man. And we've kept in touch now for two years since my mom's situation. And uh, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Familia, muchísimas gracias for hanging out with us again. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did. And make sure you connect with us on social media. Look us up with the hashtag Los Sotelos. And please, if you haven't done it already, subscribe to our podcast, comment and rate it, especially on Apple Podcasts. Dios me los bendiga. And remember to love, serve, and celebrate each other. All right? Animo. Thanks for listening to Hanging With The Sotelos Podcast.